Clash. It is the Super Clash Podcast, episode 46. I am your host, Kale. And it's Connor, yet again. Yeah, and Connor, you're looking good. Aw, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that because Connor got um, his hair chopped off. Yes, I am bald now. Not really, but... It's it's short. It's it's probably uh, the first time I've seen you with short hair in a while. Yeah, not since before the pandemic. Like you you haven't had like super long hair, but long enough. Yeah, it was like medium length, I guess. Yeah. for dudes. Mm-hmm. But it looks good. Looks professional. Thanks. Since you're <laughs> going into a new job. Yeah, I'm kind of like nervous because like I fill out all the paperwork. And, you know, with me starting soon, I'm like, are they going to send me my computer sometime soon now? Like, and I haven't heard back from them, so I'm like, hopefully. Where they are they based out of? Wisconsin. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hopefully they'll send you your shit. Yeah, if I don't hear back by, like, midday Monday, I might send them an email and be like, hey, when mm-hmm, are you sending that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this week was, was okay for me. As we discussed off-air, my wife and I, we got our taxes done. Mm-hmm. So we're getting a little bit of money back, so I'm hoping to buy some cool shit with that money back, but I really need new tires for my car. Aw. Adult things. I'm basically driving on bold tires, because tires are expensive, man. Yep. It's stupid. <laughs> yep. You gotta buy at least two of them if you got a rear or front-wheel drive vehicle. Yeah, which... I have a Toyota Corolla, so that's uh, front wheel. Yep. Like yep. most uh, poor people cars. Poor people cars? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like trying to process <laughs> there. Common car. Okay, sure. So, sure. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm tired. I'm, I'm hoping my coffee kicks in. And so it's really funny because I always have like these conversations in my head of how the podcast is going to go while I'm at work. Uh-huh. But, um, but when I get in, like, when I'm here, it's recording, all that kind of goes away. And you just get enchanted when you look at my face. I know, I, well, uh, it's probably just the shitty lighting, and I was joking. Um, the best way I could describe it is, you've seen The Waterboy, right? Yes. Um, you know that scene where, uh, where where Bobby Boucher, um, walks into, like, the new college, and there's the coach in the locker room. He's trying to set, like, create a play, mm-hmm. but because he, he kind of lost his touch since his playbook was stolen, and <clears throat> this is how my brain works. It's the scene where he's, like, he all of a sudden has this amazing play in his head, and then he's just talking about it. It's like, okay, and the, wi- and the running back goes left. No, no, no. He goes right. No, no, no. Thinks about going left. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's exactly how my brain works near the end of the day. Got that gerbil brain. <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to talk about games So and movies, actually. We have quite a bit of movies to talk about, too. So let me open up my notes, and let's get this started. Um, Connor, let's uh, start with uh, – let's, let's talk about Turning Red. Okay, um, sure. Turning Red is a, I believe it's a Pixar, or is it Disney? I know it's... Disney Pixar? Yeah, because I know Disney has its own animation studio, then there's Pixar. I want to say it's Pixar, because so there's too. some like little hints to other stuff in it. Yeah. So, the whole point of this movie, for those who haven't seen it, is it it, it centers on this girl, 12-year-old girl named May May. Maylin. Maylin who is going through puberty basically but the twist of this is is that when she when her emotions go out of control she turns into a giant red panda indeed and that's basically the premise of of the movie is she uses her powers to basically try to get money to go to this concert um that is a very simplified um kind of summary of the story it's a lot deeper than that yeah definitely um but the whole theme of this story is <clears throat> got a lot of controversy, uh, mostly because the mother thinking that this girl um, first got her period for the first time. Um, but it's mostly about um, just growing up and controlling your emotions and everything. Yeah, it's and it's also the expectations that 
parents put on their kids and the unintentional ways they kind of make their lives harder, even if it's well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is they, they borrow a little bit of that from Encanto. I think Encanto did it a little bit better. I haven't seen that one. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a good one. But, of course, I say that, but when I, but when I said that, I think, I think um, it, it covers the two different spectrums of, of, um, of, wha- of, what, you, of what you said. Um, so before we kind of g- get further into it and getting your thoughts, I'm going to w- actually scratch that. What were your thoughts on the film? Um, I think it's a combination of my thoughts before I watched it and a thought, you know, after the fact, I think overall it was a, it was a decent film. Uh, I still stand by my, my initial judgment of just the visuals of it, of I don't really like the character designs per se. And, um, I think that the characters were a little bit too spastic and high energy for, for my particular taste. Mm -hmm. It, It probably would be very appealing to a kid, whose mentality is that way but like I've, i'm far more chill of a person than that um but that's okay and i after watching it I, I saw some different things about it where they said you know they're really inspired by anime when they design these characters and their expressions and stuff like that and i kind of it just makes me sad that they didn't just go for it and just try to make it an anime because there i don't think there's ever been a true Disney production that was just an anime. Not counting Studio Ghibli, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about, like, straight up just Disney. Okay. Like, I think they just should have gone for it. And it might have even been better. You know, it might have worked well with that art style, that bombastic attitude. Mm-hmm. You can you can get a lot across with 2D characters that you can't get across with... Uh, 3D characters, and, and there's a whole video I used to, I, I watched a long time ago about this and how how it kind of sucks that we don't have as much 2D animation anymore in the West because there's so much, you know, that you can convey with 2D that you can't really do with either live action or 3D. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, um, my my <laughs> thoughts with the with the uh, the visuals, I thought I thought the the visuals actually complemented the style because. Because this movie is about um, a girl going through puberty and going through these these wide range of emotions, I really thought the visuals um, benefited from that, especially with like um, the dream scenes and and everything, and and how high energy all these kids are. Yeah. And so I I really think um, if 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 the animation was much like I don't know Moana or or um, Up, I don't think it would have it would have um, translated as well no i'm Um, i think for a cg art style they probably did the best way you could do it um that said i still think i wish it was 2d (laughs) that's fine (laughs) um so i know i mentioned this this earlier um i want to kind of um kind of address the elephant in the room this movie got a lot of controversy for for like and and not not really for any big reason, um, yeah. For for really trivial reasons, and these reasons actually really kind of pissed my wife off, because um, a lot like a lot of parents didn't like the um, the period undertones and oh this girl is disrespecting her parents and everything, and but there's also a small amount of, of people who didn't want to see it just because of the controversy that of Disney and supporting certain politicians and everything, which that's far more reasonable than, than, Oh, this movie's talking about puberty and periods. Yeah. Because my wife brings up the thing is like, um, Oh, do we not want to let our little girls know about periods? We need to keep them pure for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, and so I and I read all these all all these issues, and so I wanted to read um, a more philosophical approach to it. 
and by philosophical I mean I mean I went to Reddit. <laughs> so peachy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to read this comment that actually brought up some really good points about this whole controversy. I, I don't have the username. It, it, it totally left me. But he basically – the user basically said this about the period aspect. She gets up and goes to the bathroom and sees that she's turned into a giant red panda. She screams. Her mom hears and comes to the door, and the daughter's freaking out a bit. The mom thinks it's her period and gets all the things she needs, including pads in all styles and sizes, ibuprofen, vitamin D, and a hot water bottle. Yeah. The daughter is able to avoid showing the mom the panda form by hiding in the shower. They have this fun little conversation, a shower curtain between them, where her mom I- talk- is talking about periods for 15 seconds, and the daughter's pretty morf- mortified and still freaking out. Mm-hmm. The mom still doesn't know what's up, gets dragged away by burning uh, rice porridge on the stove. This is later used as a plot point a few minutes down the line where the mom brings the pads for the daughter's school and embarrasses the shit out of her daughter, causing her to turn into the panda again. I chuckled the, the, at the whole red panda period connection because it's a little bit on the nose, but the movie ended up being a lot more than that, mostly, mostly about family and being your own person and boundaries. It's kind of funny that other moms and parents will be hating on the small mention of a period when the whole movie seems to be about seems to be about her mom overly freaks out at rather acceptable things if anything it's the mom who's forced to confront the issues of acceptance yeah and i thought that was very poignant so i i have a couple theories as to why there was so much backlash on this film um that you might not have seen had the character not been a a girl facing girl issues mm-hmm. or Asian with, you know, an Asian household and Asian life. And honestly, I think it really boils down to there's a lot of, first, internalized misogyny in oh, our culture. Absolutely. Like, and racism. Yeah, the racism was part B. Let me, okay. let me focus on Go part ahead. A. Go ahead. So internalized misogyny means we are so conditioned as a society to think of a, a – natural part of you know female biology as taboo we don't talk about that you know kind of thing that not only were there men upset by it but there were women who were upset by it too and that really speaks to how deeply ingrained it is Mm -hmm. in our culture at least in the united states i can't speak for the rest of the world but just how it is here of how we've made such a normal human thing so taboo yet we have disney films out there that actually hit far more what i would consider to be taboo for children subjects you know Mm -hmm. murder death war you know (laughs) all of that is okay but something that just normally happens to a girl and honestly you know i've i've had many female friends i've family members over the years honestly a lot of girls have their period when they're still children. It's not like something oh, that absolutely. happens in your like teens necessarily. No. You know, there are kids out there who are watching these Disney films who've already probably had it. And that's why I think that the period aspect was on the nose. It was simple enough for kids to understand it. Yes. I mean, us as adults, like a 29-year-old man, a 31-year-old man, and our wives who are adults, yeah, it's on the nose for us because um, – especially our wives have gone through it since they were uh Maymay's age. Yeah. And so it's it's so but for children who are first experiencing it, it's perfect for them. Yes. And it's and the whole disrespecting um her parents oh, I'm sorry, before I get into that, you were gonna do part B and it was racism. Yeah, racism. There's a lot of of racism here. And what happens I think is if I say a lot of the reason why people don't like this is, you know, the fact that the protagonist is of Chinese descent and there's a lot of Chinese culture just in this film. A lot of people are going to say, that's not what I had wrong with it. And they're going to list out reasons X, Y, Z, why they didn't like the film. But the reality of the situation is under every little bit is 
they are upset about something that they can't explain, so they're going to try to figure out what is wrong with it that I didn't like, but I'm not going to say the, the racist thing. I'm going to say the other parts that I didn't like with it. So they'll grab on to the, the period thing, right, and be like, mm-hmm. oh, that's why it was bad, right? Or, you know, oh, it's disrespecting to parents. That's why it's bad. As if other Disney characters haven't disrespected um, their parents I, I, I think as last, well. last time I, I remember, Mulan dis- um, disobeyed her father by running off to war. Um, and I think, oh, geez, what else? Um, Little Mermaid. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean. But I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Ariel was white and Mulan was white enough. Well, I think the the thing that we're we need to hit on here is there's a, been a huge, huge influx in anti Asian sentiment since the pandemic. Yes, beginning of the pandemic. Yes, and because we had a lot of politicians that were framing it that way, as if it were a a racial issue, or a, it came from China, so it's clearly a, a Chinese problem, and so now. When you have a pro, uh, a protagonist who is of, of Chinese descent, you're gonna get these people who have that internalized racism, who need a way to express their their anger about this movie that they can't really find a good reason, so they're gonna pick it apart on the little things, and I think that's just what happens. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's really funny you brought those up because uh, my wife read a review um, written by a man, of course, who said. Oh, oh, I couldn't identify with the uh, main protagonist because um, she was a 12-year-old Asian girl. And I just couldn't find see myself in her. It's like, so you, okay, maybe this movie, I'm not saying this movie wasn't made for you, but I'm a 31-year-old man. I grew up, um, I was a, almost a teenager in that, in that time period. It took place in 2002. I remember being surrounded by those boy band obsessed girls and everything. So I, well, whereas I may have not identified with every aspect of Maymay's character, I identified with the culture at the time. Like there were so many like, like Tamagotchis, you know, mm-hmm. and like so many throwbacks, and it just put me back into that world. E- even down to the clothing style. Yep, yep. It's like, and that was the cool part. It's very, very challenging. There has been very few pieces of media throughout my existence of watching movies and TV shows where I could not find at least some way to connect with the characters. And that's good filmmaking. Because it doesn't take much. In your day-to-day life, you are, you're interacting with people of completely different backgrounds all the time. And it's finding those commonalities and those shared experiences, which with any person you interact with, you can find some kind of commonality mm-hmm. 99.9% of the time. Like, Maymay struggles with, um, much much like in, in Kanto, um, she struggles with um, perfection. Or, or maybe not perfection, but her mom is basically a helicopter parent. Yes. And whereas you may not ad- identify with her gender or her, her um, um, sex – or ethnicity, you can some kids can at least identify with that aspect and, and watch how Maymay um, um, interacts with that and deals with that. Boil it down to this if you really, really want to. Boil it down to the fact that this is a, a teenage kid who wanted to do something that was perfectly reasonable and their parents wouldn't let them do that. If you've never had that experience in your entire life, you have lived a perfect and privileged life because, I hate to say it, every parent has done that to you at some point in time, Mm -hmm. right? They've they've not let you do something that seemed perfectly reasonable to you, you know, and everyone, that's a shared experience. Exactly. Um, So to wrap things up, uh, I... I think this film was a good film. Like it's, I I really enjoyed this film actually a lot. Yeah, and uh, I actually did the uh, group watch uh, with me, my wife, and my wife's oldest niece, mm-hmm. who was, uh, who just turned thirteen. So it, this movie was perfect for her. Yeah, the the prime demographic. Prime demographic, and she absolutely adored it. So great! I I thought it was a great film. So uh, moving on, Connor, let's uh, let's talk about kind of a movie, but interactive movie, Man of Madon. Okay. 
Um, for those who don't know, this is a what dark universe, dark. It's dark the, pictures. The dark pictures anthology. Yeah, dark pictures anthology is from the creators of Until Dawn, which is something I need to play. I've heard a lot of good things from it. So, it says this is an anthology. It's a it's a collection of three stories. They're about maybe three four hours long. And there's more of them coming too. Yeah, more of them coming. Um, this particular one, Man and Madon, um, it, it, uh, is about, uh, five characters, mm-hmm. um, Alex, Brad, Julia, Conrad, and Fliss, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> so we're, what we're gonna do for this in bet- is we're gonna talk about this game in full, but, um, What's interesting about this game is that e- everything that you do is determinate. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk about our experience only. Yeah. And there, there's a couple other things to take into account here. Not only is our experience possibly different than yours just because of the decisions you make in the game. In addition to that, there's two ways you can play the game. You can do it in movie mode or movie party mode or something like that uh, where you have five people – up to five people locally playing it and making the decisions for the various characters. Or you can play it, as Kayla and I did, uh, co-op, where we switch off between the characters and make the decisions. Um, And in addition to that, there's a curator mode, which lets you play and make decisions from different characters' perspectives, too. So there's so many potential ways that this Mm -hmm. game could play out that I don't feel like us talking about our experience would spoil anything for anyone. Exactly. So, so the game opens up in the past, um, and it's surround. It's it focuses on two friends that are um, are in the navy during World War II. I believe they're coming home from World War II. Yes. It's like the end of the war. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose of of this part is just to kind of train you on the controls. One person goes to see a fortune teller, and that's where you get trained to like look at stuff and rotate objects. And the other person does it like this, this boxing game to where he needs to block and punch uh, targets, and that kind of teaches you how to aim and hit, mm-hmm. which is still very difficult. Oh yeah, like it was already difficult in the training, but when you're under stress, it is ten times as difficult. Yeah, and they they took that from Until Dawn. Until Dawn does a lot of that too. Yeah, and so once you kind of do that, um, you go back onto the boat, and because like. So something happens, like you piss off your your captain or or your sergeant. He knocks one of you out, and you show up drunk. Is the yeah. thing? Oh, that's right. You show up drunk, and so one person gets thrown into the brig, and the other person gets thrown in, in, into the med bay, and then you wake up, and something weird is happening, mm-hmm. and you don't know what's going on. So you meet up with with your with your buddy, and you kind of explore uh, what's going on. Uh, and that's when things start getting weird. Um, on my asp- on my perspective, I was seeing ghosts. Mm-hmm. I was seeing uh, um, like a little chi- a little Chinese boy like running across the <laughs> the hallway. Um, and then we somehow got separated. I can't remember how. I don't remember either. I think maybe you went down a hall and then I couldn't follow or something. And then uh, I'll talk about my perspective first. And then I saw someone go into a locker, I pick up a gun, and I just riddle that locker full of holes. And then I open it up. There's like a Chinese boy and a ghost. His face gets all weird, and then I'm dead. Yeah. And then from my perspective, I got separated from you, and I encountered um, a fallen soldier who said you can either run or well he told he told me to hide but it gives you the option to either run or hide and so i went and hid and i hid in one of the lockers and then i was sh- shot to death and a uh i want to say it was like the man from the beginning of the game when you're in china he he's the one who like opens the locker yeah and so when you told me that when we played it's it's heavily implied that i'm the one that shot you yes and that's when so Obviously, there's something weird going on here. Fast forward to the present, where we meet the characters I mentioned earlier. Alex, Brad, Julia, Conrad, uh, a- and later on, Fliss. And <clears throat> so, 
this group of people are going to, on a diving trip to an old World War II wreckage that is yet undiscovered. Um, the character Brad, the little brother of Alex, he kind of uses math to figure this out. Um, once they get to the spot, I'm spot. I'm kind of just glossing over this. Uh, there's there's a lot of dialogue in this, and you can kind of make choices. Um, Fliss says, "This is an undiscovered wreckage. This is the ship graveyard. We have to report this." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Nah," basically. Yeah. And so. As um I and I think yeah, uh, Alex and Julia they're the ones the first to dive towards the wreckage first. Yeah, and and I think you were the one that controlled that part. Yes, I was. So tell me about about that part, and then I'll then I'll talk about my part that happened while your dive was going on. Okay, so we dive down and we encounter this uh, World War Two aircraft that has crashed into the ocean and in that aircraft we find a bunch of uh, bullet holes and we actually find um, bullets lodged into the the aircraft and while we're down there we also uh, find all the the troops who appear to be American and they all have like you know lockets of their loved ones and things like that um, that's really the only thing of note down there. Uh, there's a few like little jump scare things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on our way up, we encounter a shark, um, which causes us to kind of pause our ascent up, that and decompression. And uh, we notice a, a boat uh, leave, and then we see an explosion. And that's all that we see. Okay. So my perspective is as you guys go down – um, I play as Conrad, who is played by Sean Ashmore. Uh, for those who don't know, he played Iceman in the X-Men films. Yes. So um, I've noticed um, this uh, show, they always try to get someone famous to at least play a role in something. Yes. Um, uh, for me, I, I you can choose dialogue for Conrad to kind of turn on the charm with Fliss, the female captain. And... Um, I kind of played my cards right in that in that aspect, and so it was kind of attraction. So, the boats that you saw were um, fishermen, as I say that in quotes. But Fliss basically says they're not fishermen, mm-hmm. and so the boat hits your tow the tow line, warning warning that there are divers and damages their boat. Uh, and one of the main pirates are like, "You damaged our boat," and. Conrad, I I didn't quite understand the controls, so I had Conrad kind of antagonize them <laughs> a little bit. He was like, "Oh, how much does it cost? Twenty dollars? Okay, thirty dollars, forty dollars. Okay, you got me. Fifty dollars." And he just tosses the money in the water, mm. and just just kind of be an overall dick. Yeah, and and they get mad. They drive away. Um, and the explosion was the uh, was the grill that Conrad tried to light. Mm. Gotcha. So, um, so we all come back together. Uh, we enjoy some beers and everything. And then in the middle of the night, those fishermen pirates come back and hijack the boat. Yes. And <clears throat> they soon discover uh, there's that there is something called Manchurian gold. That was the that was the supposed thing that they that I want to say that they were looking for. You guys were looking for. Yes, I believe so. And they're like, "Gold, you will take us here." And I am the captain now. <laughs> yeah, they they uh Captain Phillips the whole situation. They're very hardcore. And so this is a scene that's very tense because your decisions can mean life or death, I believe. Mm-hmm. None of our characters died. We thought one character did. But um you and I decided um, to try to escape in, in any way we can um, by, like, ripping off our ba- our binds. We had scissors. Um, Conrad tried to escape. I, I missed I missed the uh, the mark to hit one of the pirates. Mm. And we then thought you, we thought you died, I think. <laughs> um, we thought Julia died because uh, the lead pirate, I think his name was Otis or something, um, mm. pointed the gun at her and shot and fired mm-hmm. but it just grazed her it grazed her face too mm-hmm. so we thought she got shot in the head yeah and so 
um, they, they go to the coordinates where this Mancurian gold is supposed to be. And it's an old derelict warship. Mm-hmm. The very same warship in the beginning of the game. Yes. And this is when weird shit starts happening. Um, <clears throat> so we go on. We, we, we try to kind of figure out what's going on. The pirates put us um, in a room and keep, and keep us in there while they try to look for this Mancurian gold. Mm-hmm. Manchurian. Manchurian, thank you. And we escape, and a chase scene starts happening, and then that's when things start getting weird. Yes. We start hallucinating. Um, so <clears throat> there's something really crazy happening here. It was – I can't remember all the aspects, so you, you guys have to be patient with me here. Um, it was – a chase scene with um, Conrad and Fliss. Mm-hmm. You played as Conrad. I was playing as Fliss. Yes. And what were you seeing on your aspect, or, or in your perspective, Connor? Well, initially, you looked like a, uh, or well, it, it would appear that a, a nurse from the World War II era was chasing me but then she turned into an old like hag scary like (laughs) almost like a zombie woman and started chasing me through the halls and up ladders and all this Mm -hmm. other shit and in reality that was me trying to uh to kind of tell you to calm calm your tits dude and unfortunately during a scene where we were climbing ladders i missed a quick time event and i fell and that was the end of fliss yeah fliss died yeah. This these are games where you cannot miss a beat. Oh no. Or else characters will die. And I think at this point we realized that not all that we saw was reality, right? Mm-hmm. So I was trying to be more careful with the decisions I was making and, you know, I think you were as well too. Yeah. And <clears throat> to, to kind of add in near the floor of the ship there's this weird like yellow cloud, yellow mist kind of drifting. Yes. And the uh, the pirates start freaking the fuck out. They're seeing shit. They're turning on each other, mm-hmm. and every and everything. And Otis stabs one of one of his mates in the in the stomach, and he starts going completely ape shit. Yeah, and ha- has a um, has a massive sledgehammer. We're hiding. We have to control our heartbeat in an event which we failed. Yes, and he he saw us. <laughs> And the and as the t- story progresses, we we try to escape, and it's later revealed that this Manchurian gold Manchurian. is a biological weapon meant mm-hmm. to cause hallucinations and basically f- for the enemy to kill each other. Yeah, and boy did that happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. What happened is Conrad. I was playing as Conrad. Um, was trapped in the room with Otis, um, and I missed another quick time event, and he got hit with a sledgehammer, and Otis had me pinned and choked me and then smashed my head. And I was playing as Brad, and I couldn't do anything. Like uh, My only options were close the gate, which would have closed on both of you like struggling on the ground, or I could choose to not close the gate on you guys. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to, like, crush them so i'm not gonna do that and i left it open and you know you got killed anyway i'm, I'm assuming it must have been the quick time event before that that probably sealed your yeah, fate i think so but we we did miss a lot of details because th- it, th- it would be this would be an hour and a half long episode if we went beat by beat in this but um overall this was just like a really fun experience and we saved Three of the five characters. Yeah, we saved three of the five characters, and I almost uh, want to go back and to try to save all the characters, and s- and also try to kill all the characters to see what happens. I think it'd be fun to do the curator mode too, or the movie night mode. Yes, that that would be a lot of fun. And the next one in the anthology is called Little Hope. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a witchcraft kind of theme. Yeah, one. I- I'm excited for that one. But but yeah. That's uh, Man of Madon, and oh, definitely, it's definitely worth playing. 
Um, I don't, I don't know how much it was. It was like what thirty dollars though. Full retail was thirty. You can probably get it much cheaper than that now. Yeah, like definitely. I wouldn't personally pay thirty dollars for, but if it's on sale, I would really recommend this. I feel like at thirty, there's enough replayability to maybe make it worth it, especially if you had people to play it with. I guess that's true. But moving on, Connor, uh, what's – I think you wanted to talk – oh, yeah, there are s- some things you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, one of them uh, was Daybreak. I finished mm-hmm. that series on Netflix. Um, so I can talk about it a little bit more than I could before. Um, if you haven't watched our, or listened to our previous podcast, uh, I'll get you up to speed really fast. Daybreak is a Netflix series that revolves around um, – Basically, the the last bastion of humanity uh, in the United States is a bunch of teenagers after biological weapons have dropped and turned all of the adults into basically zombies. Mm -hmm. So uh, fast forward, um, the premise of the the show is that the the main character, uh, Josh, I want to say is his name, um, he is looking for... Uh, this girl he had a sort of thing for named Sam. And he's just trying to find her during the apocalypse, and that's his whole goal. Meanwhile, all of these different uh, factions have broke out uh, amongst all the teenagers. There is, you know, the the jocks, there's the nerds, there's the gamers, there's the, you know, the the farm kids, all this shit, right? And so... He doesn't really fit into any of those groups. He he was from Canada. He was a transfer student. He hadn't been going to the school very long. He was kind of an outcast. Uh, he he likes skateboarding, and that's pretty much all you really know about him. Um, and so along the way, he encounters uh, this. I believe she's a ten-year-old girl named Angelica, who is basically a um, like a prodigy. Uh, who was also selling this, like, you know how kids make slime? Mm-hmm. She was making edible slime that had, like, like uh, Oxycontin and a bunch of other, like, <laughs> prescription drugs in them and was selling them at the high school. Uh, so that And he was her babysitter, so that's how they were connected with each other. Um, and then there is a, um, a guy who... Was, he presents himself as a samurai with a code of ethics and a code of honor, and he was Mole a ninja shit. Kinda, yeah. Okay. He was a jock who broke off from that group um, after a fallout with their leader Turbo. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I I just rolled my eyes at that name. It's just like a, such a jock nickname and turbo only communicates in a series of grunts and he wears a mask and you know uh that's his whole thing and and the jocks will routinely like sacrifice people in a a uh, game where they have uh the victim go up on a stage and and sing with a band and if they don't like it they you know pull the the give the thumbs down and they drop them into the spike pit basically. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Um meanwhile, there's also a a guy who he's kind of dressed like a Hellgan from Killzone who's going around capturing kids to eat them. Um and so after an an altercation with a group of um jocks they were the the golf club jocks um (laughs) they end up going to this mall they being the main character the samurai and the prodigy girl and they encounter uh this boy here i believe his name is eli i'm so terrible with names um and he has taken the mall for himself by disguising himself as the cannibal (laughs) so he has like a fake motorcycle and a fake get up that looks like him and he scares people away from the area by acting like you know and this kid his whole thing is he was the son of immigrants 
who kind of grew up poor, had to work all the time, and always had the knockoff clothes. Mm-hmm. And so now that he has control of the mall, he has like all of this stuff that he never had before, and he doesn't want to let go of it all. So he's kind of an antagonist sort of, sort of in this. And at the mall, there's also this character called the Witch, who is one of the zombies, but she retains some level of sentience. That's the teacher, isn't it? It's their teacher, yes. Yeah, I me- remember that from the last episode. Yeah. And so they develop a, a friendship with this witch and try to help her regain more of her humanity. So I'm not going to go beat for beat by every episode, but now that I've established what this is about, um, the story then progresses where um, the main character believes that the cannibal is holding the girl he likes hostage. So he begins his assault on this cannibal's camp. Come to find out, the cannibal has taken over the old uh, cereal factory in town and is just like has a bunch of kids in cages feeding them cereal to plump them up. Meanwhile, all of his workers that he employs there, they're all chained up, are all the foreign exchange kids because they can't speak the same language as each other and they can't plot how to get out of there. Hmm. Um, I'm... Mm. I'm tempted. Should I spoil who the cannibal is? It's a big plot point. Uh, or should say, I just stay say vague? Uh, save that for the end. Okay. Uh, cause well, cause maybe, maybe this is something we should actually. If you haven't seen Daybright, Daybreak, or Daybreak. I'm sorry, and you do turn the episode off right now, cause. We were we are going to transition to talk about spoilers, talk about things in full. Uh, so, if you haven't seen this, turn it off in three, two, one, go, Connor. Okay. So, do you care about spoilers either? No. Okay. Well, uh, so it turns out that the cannibal is their principal. Interesting. And he survived because there was an old Cold War bomb shelter in the school that he hid inside during the events of the bombing. And the reason the witch is the way that she is is because he got into an altercation with her prior, pushed her down a flight of stairs, and she hit her head and got a concussion. So she was uh, suffering a brain injury in the middle of this thing which caused her reaction to be different than everyone else's mm-hmm. so anyway uh they end up overthrowing uh this this principal and putting him in a cage and leaving him behind as well as turbo because turbo ends up showing up there as well um with his gang of goonies and ends up getting defeated there come to find out the samurai mentioned before uh, was in a gay relationship with Turbo. And the whole reason he left the jocks was because of a disagreement with, you know, how Turbo was handling things. Hmm. Um, so the samurai leaves and hooks up with um, Turbo on the regular and eventually ends up, like, releasing him as well. Um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit because there's a lot of stuff that's not necessarily important to the plot um at a certain point josh ends up giving up on sam assuming that she's dead at this point mm-hmm. because he's been led to believe so and he ends up hooking up with the uh chinese foreign exchange student um and while after they've hooked up i believe they end up looking at a th- well they end up okay i'm gonna back up a little bit The reason that he ends up hooking up with this girl is because they end up sending out this task force of the gamers to go take out Turbo at the high school where he's based at. And it fails horribly. Hmm. So the informant that they had that was going to let them into the school and disable all these things, um, it was clear that they turned on them. 
right? And so they end up shacking up. They go back down, and they're looking at the footage. And in the background of the footage of the gamers going in with their, like, GoPros or whatever looking around, you see Sam, the girl that he likes. And he's like, oh, no, I need to rescue her from the jocks now. So he tries to get this group together to go take down the jocks. Um, and at first they don't want to team up with them, and then they agree to. Um, they end up taking down the jocks. Um, and the, the uh, principal, who's the cannibal, ends up getting put in charge of the students because they believe he's had a change of heart and and won't do anything anymore. And that obviously goes horribly wrong, and he ends up wanting to uh, basically launch a nuke that will wipe out humanity. So the gang all gets together. They try to unite all these different, you know, factions, and they go to take down this principal who's now – eating students and also like wanting to destroy humanity. Yeah. And they're obviously successful. And at the very end, you, you see Josh reunite with Sam and he's like, I love you. And she just kind of scoffs at him and she's like, you know, I'm not into you, whatever. And like goes off and it's assumed that she's taking leadership of all of these (laughs) people. Like she's like, I'm the leader now. And like, so like a betrayal at the very end, and so this movie this it sounds like it's this like a more comedic show, or is it like super serious? It's definitely very comedic. Um, that's the whole intent. I didn't expect the end to be that mean spirited, though. Mm. I know it was probably put in place to kind of defy expectations of like, oh, you know, the the hero saves the girl and rides off into the sunset, sort of thing. But it kind of sets it up for like her to be the villain of the next one. Interesting. Because she likes the power. And the whole story has a lot of flashbacks uh, to their relationship, Josh and, and Sam. And uh, you find out that Josh is really hung up on her being a virgin and ends up saying some stupid shit to her. They somehow get over that. They end up shacking up together. Things seem okay. And then while they were shacking up, he kept ignoring his phone calls. Come to find out his dad died. Mm. And so he ends up like flipping out on her and calling her like a hoe and a slut and all these other things. And that's why he was trying to actually connect with her was to like make up for being a shithead. And so in some ways I understand why like – they weren't really good for each other. But I don't know. Making her to be like the villain possibly at the end, it, it's insinuated if there's going to be a future season that she will be, seemed weird to me because it kind of betrayed her character unless they meant for her character to be completely disingenuous. Hmm. It's hard to say. Yeah. Because the, the whole character of Sam, she was meant to be the popular girl because she and Josh filmed this viral video of her going around to every student in the school and saying something nice to them. And then she became super popular online and in real life and everybody loved her and all this stuff. And it's kind of sort of like hinted at the end that like, She's like, I didn't want any of that fame. I didn't want any of this. I don't even know if I meant, you know, all these things that I said, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Worth a watch, though. Sweet. Okay. So, uh, we'll we'll do one more episode, episode, um, or not episode, um, <laughs> topic, because we're kind of getting down to the wire here. Um, I want to talk about a, another film. I know this is mostly a film heavy uh, episode. I want to talk about a film that my wife and I saw called Antlers. So, Antlers is a monster movie center that centers around uh, the Wendigo. So, basically, uh, the, the the film opens with this kid in a in a truck. You know, he's just kind of using his imagination. He's kind of playing with sticks, and his father comes out, 
and says, hey, I'm almost done. Um, just stay in the truck, okay? So it's established that this kid is at his father's workplace um, because there's no daycare, basically. And his father works at a coal mine. All of a sudden, the monster gets possessed by the Wendigo. Um, okay. So quick, quick side note here. This Wendigo is closer to um, the Native American Wendigo than the Hollywood Wendigo. Um, if you're not in the know, Connor, um, to put very, very, very simply, my wife knows knows this a lot better than I do. Um, the Native American Wendigo is a spirit. Um, if you get possessed by the Wendigo, you have an insatiable hunger, and that cannot be quenched. So the the Wendigo that you see in movies, you know, like the more deer-like with the antlers, that's Hollywood. Okay. So a more traditional Wendigo is more humanoid. So, okay, that's closer to Until Dawn then, actually. Yeah, so un- Until Dawn was closer to the original depiction of, of a Wendigo than other movies. So why do they call it Antlers, then, if if it's a because, different depiction? Because the movie devolves into the traditional Wendigo. I see. And so and I didn't I didn't think this movie was this movie wasn't bad, but I don't think it was good. Okay. Um so going back to to kind of the out um kind of the outline of this. Um so th- at the beginning the father tr- tries everything he can to um uh, try to suppress his hunger so he doesn't end up eating his his kids. Okay. Um he locks himself in in a room then the brother, the little brother of of I'm sorry, the kid shown in the uh, beginning gets possessed by the Wendigo as well. Oh. Or or s- I think I'll get into that. <laughs> okay. Um fast forward to a couple months later and the older brother of this family is kind of the main kid of this. Okay. Um so he tries to keep them satisfied by catching wildlife to feed them every once in a while. And this takes a massive to- toll on him. Um, he looks like he's gotten barely any sleep. He is bullied at school. How sentient are these Wendigos now? Uh, pretty pretty sentient because um, at, th- at the beginning, the father says, you need to lock me in this room, and no matter what, you do not let me out. Okay. So um, – Fairly sentient. So not animalistic per se. Not yet. Okay. Not okay. yet. And so, <clears throat> so, so you have that, the, the main, like the main kid, uh, Lucas, um, and his little brother, Aiden, who gets possessed by the Wendigo, and the father. And the second main character is his teacher. And <clears throat> her introduction is uh, they're talking about mythological mythological creatures, which, haha, appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, as he gets to know him, he, th- the teacher thinks he's being abused at home, because he never sees the dad. He he looks like he looks malnourished, and no sleep, and everything. <clears throat> so she goes through his desk. And he pulls out – she pulls out all these weird photos, these weird gruesome photos, and goes to the principal saying, I think this kid's being abused. I think we need to do something about this. And the, the, the um, principal says, well, how do you know he's abused? He could be whatever, which then unlocked a confusing subplot of this film. This, mov- this movie has a lot of confusing subplots and plot holes. Okay. Um, it is – confirmed that the teach that this teacher and and her brother who is the sheriff of this small town um were abused by their father but this never was expanded upon <clears throat> it was just mentioned a couple times and only really brought up in order to, for the teacher to connect with lucas more of like just a character trait than an actual it backstory was, yeah, it was it was more of a character trait than an actual backstory oh. and <clears throat> once the story got going it was never mentioned again hmm the teacher go, goes to the property, and that's when the uh, – not the teacher. The principal goes to the main property and opens up the door, releases the, the Wendigo. She gets eaten, and then <clears throat> that's when the Hollywood version of the Wendigo bursts out of the skin. Okay. And then goes on a ran- rampage, um, kills kills uh, the bully that was bullying Lucas, and 
I'm sorry if you're hearing dogs bark in the background. <coughs> mm. But I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to kind of remember the beat by beat of this movie because um this movie felt this movie was almost was, was trying to be bigger than it really is, trying to be deeper than it really is. I think if it was just a monster movie where it's just focused on the monster killing killing people, mm-hmm. I think it, I think the movie would have fared better. Really? Um, because it was trying to be <clears throat> like the abuse subplot of trying to connect to the main kid. Um, something about I don't know if this small town was supposed to be run down because um, there was a radio broadcast in, in the beginning that mentioned something about shutting down the coal mines in the country, which was a really big thing during one of the elections. And there was like long lines at the um, at shops and everything. <clears throat> so I don't know if this if they didn't establish the, the world very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, your dog's going crazy. Yes, I've asked my wife to take care of him and yeah. see if she will listen. <laughs> so overall, like this, I'm not quite sure how to talk about this movie because this movie was just very confusing um because it 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 mentioned in in the um in the film that the only way to kill the wendigo is to take out its heart okay but then and then it goes to try to find another host now i mentioned in the beginning that the um that the little brother was possessed too but he had nowhere near the insatiable hunger that the father did and I was talking to Lily about this. I'm like, so what? Why is that? That doesn't make any sense. And even Lily agreed. It's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, is w- w- is is the Wendigo supposed to like was using him as like a placeholder in case the main host died? Because that doesn't make any sense. And not only that, the Native American character, um, according to Lily, was freely throwing out the name Wendigo when real indigenous people would never utter the name Wendigo. Hmm. Because the lore is the more you say Wendigo, it attracts the Wendigo. Interesting. So you've just definitely attracted it. <laughs> Wendigo, 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 Wendigo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, but anyway, so we, we did not know why, but it wasn't after the, um, the monster died is when all of a sudden the kid becomes possessed. It really makes n- made no sense. Mm. <clears throat> um, I'm sorry if I'm describing this terribly. Because um, it just sounds like a movie that's kind of all over the place anyway. It it is kind of all over the place, <clears throat> um, but I I really think <clears throat> because I almost want to compare this to the ritual because the ritual is a movie. It's it is kind of a monster movie, sort of yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> it's a lot. I there was a lot better talent writing the ritual than this movie because the ritual's main theme was friendship you know they 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 went on this camping trip to honor their friend and they kind of got in over their heads yes with with something <clears throat> whereas this was just like okay i want this to be a monster movie but i want this to be interesting yeah so let's throw in a couple of subplots in here but not expand on it and so, it was short. It was it was mercifully short. It was about an hour and forty minutes. Okay, but that's not terrible. I I wouldn't really recommend it. Then I'm glad I didn't rent it when I, I thought yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. I think we I think we need to find better monster movies. So I'm actually thinking about going through uh, and watching a bunch of stuff on Shutter. There's a lot of stuff on there that I've I would heard be is good. down for a monster movie. Hell like yeah, g- man. Give me a monster slasher. There's a. There's one on there that was really highly rated. It was rated like five stars on there. Uh, it was like a Korean movie. Ah, frick. I wish I could remember it. But yeah, it, it was looking really good. And I mean, pretty much every Korean horror movie I've seen lately has been bomb diggity. So. Yeah, and so <laughs> I, I'd, I'd, I'd be down to watch that to give us some, some more shit to talk about. But we're about to hit we're, – we're hitting in just about an hour. We still have a whole lot to talk about, but we'll we'll hold on to some of that for, for next episode. And so I hope you guys enjoyed enjoyed this episode that we're, we're, we're kind of taking a new approach to this show. Um, it's going to be inf- um, um, 
in full force when we hit episode 50. That's got to kind of be our, quote, season two yeah. part of the show, where every single movie we're going to talk about and game, maybe not game, um, we're, we're going to talk about in full and with spoilers and all. Yeah, and I think the caveat being that if one of us doesn't want to be spoiled on it, we can keep it casual because I don't yeah. want to like ruin anything that you might be interested in or vice versa. But that's that's why and hopefully with season with season two, you and I are going to make an effort to watch the same movie, even though we'll be even if we're in our respective houses, try to watch the same movie. That way we can come together with, with more roundtable discussions and games as well. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of our plan moving forward and any movies or games that we're going to talk about in full, we might save till, well, we're going to save till the end. Mm -hmm. So you can listen to the bulk of the episode and, uh, and then turn it off if you don't want to, if you don't want things to be spoiled. Um, so that's, that's kind of the plans moving forward. Um, rate and subscribe if you guys, if you guys like this episode or, or just this show, um, And thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. See ya.